Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 122. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. And normally on Life of School, I like to sit down with a panel of life science teachers and talk about what's going on in our classroom. But as we are in summer mode, uh, I have decided that I want to catch up with one of our past guests. And so this episode, we're going to be catching up with Katie Ryan. Uh, Katie was a guest back on episode 85 of Life of School podcast pre-pandemic. And when we last talked to Katie, it was December 2019, and she was completing her student teaching in Colorado. And then since our conversation, Katie became a Knowles Teacher Fellow and began her teaching career at uh, Grisham Middle School in Knoxville, Tennessee. Did I say that right, Katie? Grisham? Yep, uh, Gresham. Gresham. Gresham Middle School in Knoxville, Tennessee, yep. <laughs> uh, during a pandemic. So I thought, what better chance than to check in with a brand new teacher and what was it like to start your career during a pandemic? So welcome, Katie. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, um, welcome back. We had uh, we had chatted um, sort of a behind the scenes um, as as I had chatted with you via text. I don't know, like two months ago, we were getting ready to do a uh, like a, a teacher uh, training episode with the panel, and I was like realizing all of my panel was old, um, <laughs> no, and hadn't been through teacher <laughs> training ever or in decades. And I was like, oh, I should get somebody like Katie on who'd been recently, but. Um, I let things slide to like the last minute and asked you like last minute and stuff like that. So um, it had been <laughs> on my panel to get you back on. So I'm psyched because I've been really dying to know from a person who, uh, who we talked to right before you started. And I was realizing it literally was like when we were talking, the first cases were happening without our knowledge uh, during that conversation. So, so how are you, how are you doing as yeah. we, we get summer started and you're recovering? Well, I appreciate summer so much more after <laughs> this year. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been a crazy year and a half, um, I guess, since December of 2019. But um, I did a semester of teaching in Longmont, Colorado, right after I completed my student teaching, mm -hmm. which was really helpful. Um, but then my fiance got into PA school in the middle of the pandemic, so we moved and picked up our lives and now we're in Knoxville, Tennessee. So um, very different, but I'm also learning quite a bit down here. Yeah. So that was, and we, when we had talked, you really didn't have a settled, you know, like where you were going to be and you were open. And um, I believe I ate dinner with your fiance or he joined us after dinner uh, yep. <laughs> in Chicago <laughs> um, uh, when we were, when we went out at NABT um, and you were both sort of in that transition period. So, so I'm trying to go through it. You're, you were in student teaching. Had you already set up your student teaching time and were in a classroom and were in a classroom when it transitioned or how did that work? Yeah. So I was student teaching at a high school, um, Silver Creek High School in Longmont. Mm -hmm. And that was really helpful. And that really helped me learn a lot. Um, but right like early December, um, there was a teacher who had been gone who decided to leave the teaching field in the middle of the year. Um, and so I just hopped into her classroom. That was, I guess, spring semester of 2020. So I was there for January and February and then the first half of March. And then all of a sudden, everything just shut down. Yeah. So we were online. Um, we had the ability to do that since our students had iPads. And that was really helpful. Um, 
so we were online until you know the end of the school year late may early june and then right at that time is when we found out he got into school so we moved in july found a place i found a job (laughs) pretty early in the summer but kind of also last minute um which is you know stressful in and of itself (laughs) but um we moved down here and then because of just where we were located in the u.s um we were actually in person all year. And so I have been in a classroom with students since August, um, which has been crazy, but exciting. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, a few, a few pieces that I was curious about. So I've been just to compare practices. um, Massachusetts was one of the early hit states, hard hit states um, through, I think even through like September, October, of the top 10 counties death rates, like the county I teach in was one of the, one of the hardest hit counties. So, so the Boston area was one of those areas. It wasn't as hard hit as New York, but we were like the next cohort out there. And so uh, cases were really bad in Boston um, and Middlesex County, which is the county I teach in, uh, which is one county outside of that, um, one of the slightly northwest of Boston was really, really hard hit. And then the county that I live in, which is even more west, was a little bit lagging, but also then was in sort of like top 20 counties in the in the country uh, early on. So very like I think that in this area, there was a reticence to go back to school and open things back up that was different than other parts of the country, because having talked to people in other parts of the yeah. country, like I remember the spring where everybody was closed. but the the hospitals weren't necessarily all overwhelmed and people's lives didn't feel that different. And especially if you, the weather was nice and you could go out a little earlier, there was sort of a lax attitude. It felt like when I talked to people, yeah. particularly in you know, who weren't in those hot spots. Um, whereas around here, like I know people who work in hospitals, I know people who are in the medical field and they were like, no, no, shut everything down, shut everything down. And they were like, and, <laughs> and parents of kids, uh, you know, the kids I teach, were frontline workers, doctors and nurses and in hospitals and that sort of stuff. So yeah, we started my school, we started in a hybrid plan where kids went like two days a week and then everyone was remote one day a week. And then there was a whole remote cohort that were remote all year. Did you have students who were remote all year or did your school not even have that as an option? Um, We had that as an option, which I think was good for a lot of parents. Um, I actually taught four different classes this year, so first year and four different preps was kind of a lot, but (laughs) um, I had a virtual honors seventh grade class, so that was my virtual class. I met with them every day, and we kind of fit it into a schedule, so I'd have, like, my last class of the day was my virtual class, and instead I'd just rotate into a virtual classroom setting, Um, and then I had... uh, seventh grade science class and then I had eighth grade and then I had a physical science class so um the three other classes were in person I saw them every day um they were in cohorts which was really nice the teachers rotated instead so that made me feel a little bit better about interacting with students um face to face but it's definitely interesting when your focus is definitely on the pandemic like okay gotta make sure every kid's mask is on got to make sure they're distanced, you know, like those are where your priorities are. And I felt like, you know, maybe my first year 
figuring out norms and <laughs> the normal stuff you're supposed to figure out kind of took a backseat. So I'm looking forward to next year because um, we're going to go back hopefully more regularly um, in the fall. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, so I guess that's, that's the, that leads into some of the other uh, things I was wondering, like, so you talk about the, the focus um, I, I, you had been through such a, you know, a, a rigorous, and we talked about it on your episode, like you were in so many different classes and you were like, of all the people I ever talked to, I felt like, wow, this program totally preparing somebody to go in first year. <laughs> um, but you didn't have like pandemic preparedness as part of that model. So, so what? Nope, that's not a class. <laughs> yeah. So what were the unanticipated like components? I mean, I, I want to take almost a step back and say like, was it, it's always stressful to try to look for a job. Was it like surprisingly easy to find a job or because I would imagine that there may have been quite a few job availability opening or like I think the whole process was unanticipated so let's let's take the step back to like finding a job was it like hard finding openings or was it surprisingly easy um I think I felt a little rushed into it because of just the timing of us trying to move and everything and I was in Colorado when I was still applying um, there was quite a few job openings, but it was interesting because I'd apply and then they'd be like, well, we're going with someone who's moving from a different school. So it was really interesting. I feel like a lot of the high school positions around here were being filled from people leaving the middle school positions and a lot of middle school were looking for teachers. Um, which, so like there were a lot more middle school openings than high school openings, um, and the openings that were in the high school were like, oh, this person's just going to take leave for six months and see how the pandemic goes and may or may not come back in the spring. So there was a lot of uncertainty there because I was like, okay, well, do I apply in a middle school where my specialties, you know, I haven't been in the middle school for very much practicum hours where it's a full-time secure job, or do I apply for something that's like six months I may or may not have <laughs> for the whole year. And I was, that was a whole nother level of stress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 that's, that's funny. Cause I remember a lot of people who got jobs. Like I, I remember my, my, like my first teaching job was a physics teaching job. Like that's, <laughs> you know, like those kind of things. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> you know, like I'm not a physics teacher. I was barely qualified to be a teacher in general uh, and I just took a job to take a job. Um, but at the same time, then you like, lo like you, you find the thing that you went into teaching for is really the teaching science and teaching with kids. So I, yeah. I was a little more, I was surprised on how little I cared about the subject area as I was. It just like, there's so much to learn when you start teaching. It doesn't seem to really yeah. matter as much as once you get your feet in the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I've actually found quite a bit of excitement teaching, um, seventh and eighth grade and physical science just because I get to dabble in every aspect of science so I taught like rockets and we did a whole project on rockets which like you don't get to do in biology but is super fun as a science teacher You're like oh I get to play with rockets all day <laughs> you know or like you do in like I tried to incorporate what I like which is the life science into some of those things so like when you talk about pH or, you know, chemistry, you can really relate that to body systems or organisms. And so, you know, I'd always try to bring some of the life science in. Yeah. Yeah. As I was, 
uh, just playing with algae balls a few minutes ago. And I was like, yeah, you, or you make everything microbiology like I do. <laughs> but, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get that. So, so in terms of your focus for the year, like, I, I guess beyond the, just the, uh, just the, the nature of switching to probably you didn't picture yourself in a middle school classroom to start. Um, and so you're now in a middle school classroom, what sort of anticipated, uh, you know, unanticipated challenges did you have in year one? Was there anything that wasn't just pandemic specific or were there, was it all just a dealing with the pandemic? There's, uh, yeah, there's definitely other stuff. <laughs> um, I think, you know, as a practicum student, you do go into a classroom and you're like, okay, here are the norms that I have. They may be similar or different than my practicum teacher. Um, but there's like a sense of like, okay, I kind of know what I'm doing. But then you get into your own classroom and they all look at you like all their eyes are just on you. And you're like, uh do I know what I'm doing? <laughs> and so I feel like, you know, I try, you always try your best. And I think um, the big thing for me that I want to focus on next year, kind of reflecting back on the challenges I had is really making sure that I know what is like, what is expected of the students in and out of the school and how can I make sure that what I expect my students to do is very similar. So um, I think maybe just because I'm from a different state, um, classrooms look a little different. And so, you know, what I, what I might've seen in Colorado is different than some of the schools down here. And so I really want to focus on making sure that my norms are really tight and making sure that I'm, you know, accepting, okay, students can't bring classroom drinks or outside drinks into the classroom that's a rule across the school I need to make sure that I'm doing that because I don't I really don't want to be the person that's like oh yeah I just let anything go <laughs> and I think this year I was kind of like that at the beginning and then I realized that I needed to tighten it up and then the kids were like Miss Ryan why are you being mean today and I'm like I'm not being mean I'm just trying to figure out what's going on <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it's that's very funny and it, I would say that you attributed it to being in a different state but I will say even within a state um I I, I tell this story when I started teaching so I actually taught my first teaching job was about only about 20 minutes away from where I grew up but it was a decidedly more rural community than where I grew up and I remember walking into school on the first day of hunting season, and there were no boys in my physics class, my junior, senior physics class, like none of the boys and a couple of the girls were gone too. But it was like, you know, a class of what should have been like 19, 20 kids. There were like, you know, like the eight or nine boys that just gone. And then there was like a couple of girls gone. So there's like only nine kids in this class. I'm like, where's everyone? <laughs> and this girl in the front front row of the, of the classroom looked up at me and said, it's the first day of hunting season and said it with like a, a tone that like only a 17 year old girl could have like a, you idiot. How do you not know <laughs> this is the first day of hunting season? Uh, talk. So I would say that the community norms are very different community to community. And then also what you're saying is like, yeah, I remember I taught at a school that like where I went to high school, like it was a very lax school so I had those in my head those sort of norms and I had I had a really hard time with the 
uh, they, they had school rules like again like no hats and no hoodies and uh like the pass policy was like really strict like kids couldn't like if, if kids got stopped any kid who was in the hallway was stopped and immediately checked for their pass and like it was just a very and it like culturally it was very strange to me that that there was a school that was run in this very rigid whereas i went to a school that had like an open campus and was like was very uh, you know it was a very anything yeah. goes kind of place so like that's the school i grew up in it was like that's kind of how i felt high school ran um and so i think our own personal biases when they run up into a school's culture that's different is a uh, that's shocking and that's happened to me uh, in the first couple of years i taught yeah <laughs> so yeah it was interesting definitely i think it's the the culture down here in terms of the community as well is different um but i think I don't know, my students said that they really appreciated, they're like, oh, you're very refreshing, because mm-hmm. they all, they also all tell me that I have an accent, when it's really, they all have an accent, <laughs> but you know what, we're not going to get hung up on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's it's funny, I because around here, we also have the uh, community accents as well, depending on how, <laughs> how, uh, how close you are, Boston, North Shore, South Shore, um, where I teach, there's yeah. actually not. It's not too, too heavy. It's a, once you get out in sort of the suburbs uh, outside of Boston, the accents drop off a little bit. That's why I have, I would perceive, your students would say I have a very uh, Northern accent, I imagine, but uh, I don't perceive <laughs> myself as having too, too much of an accent. Uh, but <laughs> I can, I can very much, yeah. re- I can very much relate to that. Uh, why I I can remember being told in schools that I said certain things oddly. And it was like, no, no, <laughs> you're just adding th- like, no. th- three extra vowels that aren't in that word. <laughs> Moving an <laughs> R from one part of the word to another. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's funny. Um, and I remember the first time my kids came home and they referred to a water fountain as a bubbler, uh, because that's what the bubblers are, what they oh. call water fountains in schools in central Massachusetts. And my wife's like, I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> but it's a very central mass. Yeah, that's new. <laughs> Yeah, little little quirky uh, jargony things that you have. All right. So, well, the other thing that I had brought up in the intro, and I remember, um, I could, it was funny when I I, I uh, internet stalked you again. Uh, I I looked you up <laughs> and I I put you in, and and it was like Knowles Fellow. And I remember one of the nights we were hanging out, and you're like, I'm gonna go hang out with those Knowles Fellow people when we were at NAVT, which I thought was brilliant because it was like if I was in your shoes, I totally would have been stalking the Knowles Fellow people <laughs> as well. But I was really excited to see that we're, we don't call it stalking. Yeah, okay. right? It's just like Facebook creeping. Uh, creeping. <laughs> Is stalking, stalking is worse than creeping? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I will generationally defer to you on language about the internet, but. Uh... <laughs> well, my kids think I'm either like 45 or like 19, so. But yeah. well, it's, that is a very funny thing because I, um. I have a, I, I have constantly been getting, all teachers are kind of the same age, but I've been getting perceived as younger as I get older. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it is very much a, um, what you were referring to, uh, how they perceive you as strict and or old or parent-like. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. And, and early in my career, I was very rigid and, and like very rules and, um, you know, for the, like early in my career, like I always wear a tie and like, sure, like I haven't worn a tie to school in like a, more than a decade, uh, but I, you know, I, I dressed much more conservatively and I was, uh, I was very much caught up in the fact that I'm young and, you know, oh, I'm young. I have to dress apart and I have to behave apart. And I projected this, 
you know, the stiffness that was to age me up. It was intentional. Like I wanted to create this distance yeah. between me and my students. And as I've aged, I've let that drop away. And it's funny, like you get to the point where they just have no idea how old you are, but they don't view you <laughs> as being this like stodgy old person. Um, at least now they will in probably a yeah. couple of years. I, I probably got a couple of years. Maybe. That. <laughs> but I can remember. Kids I know are. a lot of my, yeah. A lot of my students, unfortunately struggle to graduate high school from around here. And so, um, I kind of made it a game-ish, but a lot of kids were like, I want to know how old you are. And I was like, no. And they're like, come on, give us something. And I said, when you come back with your high school diploma mm. and you show me that piece of paper, then I will tell you how old I was when I taught you. Excellent. And it became like a thing. Like everybody across school was like, oh, nope, you can't ask Ms. Ryan because she won't tell you until you come back with your high school diploma. At the end of the year, I had one kid come up to me and I was it was like such a good teacher moment. And he's like, okay, Miss Ryan, you better be right here in four years because I'm going to come back and bring you that piece of paper. And I was like, yes! <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent. Uh, all right. So so you did join this Noel, Noel's Fellowship. We got distracted with our age talk. Right. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, but but uh, I want to know, like, how was, what was your experience? And I imagine it was quite different because so much of it was virtual. But what was your experience? What did you, what did you gain from the being a Noel's Fellow this past year? Um, I really learned a lot. I know it probably is not as much as I could have because of technology. You know, I'm on a screen, I'm at home versus like talking to people in and out of a conference like situation. Um, hopefully this next year, they're still deciding whether or not we'll be in person. I really hope we are because, you know, the all the travel and this, you know, outside of the sessions is where a lot of the connections happen, apparently. But <laughs> Um, I've had a really good year. We kind of um, focus on our own practice and inquiry in our first few years of Knowles. And I have loved that because it kind of goes right alongside what I want to do in my classroom. Um, so it's really helped me stay positive about my practice. Um, you know, you have those weeks where you're like, wow, I really don't know if I did well. But then you get with a group of other young teachers and they're like, whoa, that lesson's really cool. Like, how can I manipulate that for my classroom? And then you feel really good about yourself. <laughs> yeah. So um, we had one, um, you like present a lesson to other people and then you get feedback. But the main goal is to figure out how can we make um, the NGSS science practices more accessible to students so that they feel like they're doers of science. And um, my overall goal for my practice is always that um, I want my students to connect what they're learning to the world around them. And so making them feel like they're doing science really helps me. Um, and I, I think it helps a lot of people. And so I'm really proud of the work that I've done. Um, with a few other teachers this year, we did a really cool kind of experiment in our own classroom. Um, we created a Google form and asked students, okay, what does doing science look like to you? When do you feel like you're doing science in this classroom? The lesson that you just completed today, did that feel like you were doing science? Why or why not? Um, and then we all inserted our definition of what it means to do science and then asked students based off of this definition, do you feel like you did science today? Um, I found that like one of the biggest takeaways from this year um, being a fellow because our data was pretty similar. Students always are like labs, outside time. That's when you do science. 
Um, but then like I did a modeling activity in my classroom and I was like, you know, like we need a model in order to understand interactions between things in this world. Like that for me is doing science. And students were like, oh, I guess that can be considered science. But, you know, it took them an extra level of thinking. And so um, with Noel's help and just kind of my own personal goal for the next few years is I hope to be able to make the NGSS practices more visible to students so that they're like, okay, modeling, using math, you know, communication, these things are doing science and I'm doing science when I'm participating in them. And I think, you know, as a teacher, I'm like, okay, this lesson's all about modeling. Like they'll totally know that they're doing science, but it's, you know, it needs to be more clearly communicated to students. Yeah. And I wonder how much working with eighth graders or seventh graders actually helps you to maybe not make those assumptions. Like I think that even it's probably worse at the high school level that we, we assume, (laughs) we assume that the kids know that what the difference is or what they're working on. Um, that, but the, but a younger core, you may make, maybe you make better assumptions, um, that about what needs to be made transparent. Yeah. I was working with two high school, um, teachers and their students as well were like, oh yeah, like I didn't really think that like, communicating my ideas was a scientific practice. Mm. And so, you know, getting kind of my perspective and their students' perspective was really, really eye-opening for me. Um, And that's, you know, that's kind of the whole thing is reflecting on your practice and making tweaks and kind of having these eye-opening experiences. And I would highly recommend to anybody who wants to apply because it's basically just a bunch of really cool teachers talking about really cool teacher thing. It's it's (laughs) beginning career though. So you've got to be less than two years experience. It's like you have to have less than two years experience, I think, when you apply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So early career. Yeah. You have to, yeah, early career. The goal is to support you and it's up to five year fellowship. Mm -hmm. If you want to do more, you can apply to be a senior fellow, but um, it's really just a giant support system in your first few years. um, And a hundred percent. They helped me this year get through. Yeah. What a crazy year. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it also helps because you get to write grants. And so you can get some money for your classroom or your school. And so when working in like an underprivileged community, like I kind of am right now, it really helps because I can, you know, write grants for like things like a pencil sharpener, which I didn't have in my classroom or, you know, like we have really old microscopes from <laughs> Like, I want to say the 1930s, maybe, you know, so like figuring out ways to support science um, through funding is also helpful. Yeah, I, I was thinking as you were talking about the the issue of being a classroom teacher is historically very isolating. And yeah. and this year it felt like that was exacerbated, like. Um, I mean, and maybe, you know, culturally it was a little different. I don't know how you felt, you know, we talked about your students, but, um, I wonder if you felt like you interacted less with your colleagues in the building than you might have typically because of the, you know, masks and distancing and, and that sort of stuff. I know personally I interacted a lot less, um, but Noel sounded like it was the, that's the opposite. It gave you a community of connection, uh, to build off and not feel isolated, um, is that, is that a fair, yeah. fair assessment? 
Yeah, I would say so. Um, I know, like, we were in person, but, like, we weren't allowed to really have lunch with other people. Like, mm-hmm. we were expected to stay away from teachers, but make, keep our distance. Um, you know, I found a good few teachers that I could, you know, sit outside with and have lunch and feel comfortable doing that. But I definitely felt like, you know, there are some teachers that I, because there was no like new student or new teacher orientation or any big meetings at the beginning of the year that normally you have as a school community, because you can't put everybody in the auditorium, you know, and so uh, there was like one teacher and they're like, oh, are you a teacher here? I'm like, yeah, are you a teacher here? And they're like, oh, yeah, like halfway through the year, I met another teacher, you know, because they are on the opposite side of the building. Um, But I think it helped to be in person because I did have a few teachers around me that I was like, okay, I can get some personal human interaction (laughs) um, at an adult level, you know, not a student level. (laughs) And so that was helpful. But I think, you know, those are all, you know, seasoned teachers who are like, oh yeah, this year's crazy. But when you're a first year teacher and you're like, this year's crazy and it's my first year, (laughs) it helps to talk to other first year teachers who are like, yeah, this is ridiculous. (laughs) Well, I also I was thinking of the the earlier com- comments about sort of the community norms um, and the, those conversations and how much harder it would be to understand sort of community norms and and that that area and you know I uh, yeah I mean you've been you've been mentioned it a few times and you know Western Tennessee I mean Eastern Tennessee I grew I lived when I was younger in Western Carolina um, and so like I I, I have oh, yeah. a sense of that part I have a, a very a strong affinity for that area and you know um but but they're very it's very different like it's it i think where i lived was probably not that different than knoxville it was more like knoxville than nashville like Asheville, very liberal oh, okay. but um but you get like <laughs> 20 minutes outside of there and it is just you know very much more it's it's a rural mountainous what you said about high school graduation like you know there yeah, are appalachia yeah it, it definitely is and and um it's there, there's a, there's a lot to learn about that area. And it's, it's a place where, um, there folks will be very friendly, but y- mm-hmm. if you live there for 20 years, you're because of the way you talk, you will be an outsider 20 years from now. Like if you set up roots there, yeah. <laughs> you are going to be the person who's not from there 20 years later. Uh, yeah. and that's, and by the way, that's true of, that's not true of just there. That's true of like places in new England as well. Like, you know, like, yeah. like, I, we were joking, like I've lived in my neighborhood for 15 years and I'm sure there are neighbors who are just starting to view us as not like the new people to the neighborhood. Like we've lived here for 15 oh, yeah. years. We've raised two children in this neighborhood. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, it's, it, but there's, there's places that have that sort of parochial view. And I remember that area, especially if you have a different accent or, you know, you got a little bit mm-hmm. of something different, you'll be an outsider. And if you can get to connect with other teachers, you're going to learn about the community a little bit and sort of norms and a little history and you'll get context and it'll it'll be easier to have that identity within the building. Um, but it's, it's great to know that you had that lifeline (laughs) of not feeling isolated (laughs) because you could get that professional connection throughout the year. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. And I, you know, there were teachers, like I had a seventh grade science teacher who I co-collaborated with and she was awesome. And I love talking with her. But, you know, it's just, she's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, this is the way things have been forever. And I'm like, wait, 
nobody told me that, you know, kids are not allowed to use a water fountain between like 1 and 2 p.m. or whatever the random community rule is. And you're just like, what? <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. And I will say that um, I, I'm going to try to make sure I frame this correctly. Um, a lot of communication from administration that would have normally been sent out this year it, it just got pushed down on the priority list because I, I can remember a yeah. lot of times this year where things <laughs> would come out and I was like, why are we being told this last second? Or when were we going to be get told about that? And the fact is, is that the people who were running the buildings had so much on their plate that was, yeah. um, and I imagine well outside of their expertise, like, like we, yeah. <laughs> we did not have any of our administrators who are trained in epidemiology. Like, so they were trying to yeah, navigate no. <laughs> a space that was like totally outside their comfort zone, outside their skill set, and then trying to run buildings as well. And so where I would hope that in a normal year, you would have gotten a lot more, as you said, new teacher orientation, a lot more checking in, a lot more of that stuff. Like yeah. <laughs> when the house is on fire, not maybe everything doesn't get, uh, you know, it doesn't get dealt with. And I'm sure that they were dealing with parents and other crazy stuff. Yeah. I appreciate my principal. She hopefully doesn't feel offended by me saying this, but she was normally apparently a germaphobe. And then because of the pandemic, she was very cautious. And so like our building, even within the district looked very different than other buildings. And so, you know, our building's highest priority was keeping things clean and and safe for the pandemic um which i personally really really appreciated um and so you know that was her highest priority therefore it was all of our highest priority and i just kind of you know went with the flow and i learned a lot about myself and i learned a lot about my <laughs> students so you know pros and cons <laughs> yeah yeah no i will i my kids were my kids were absolutely great this year um and I really appreciated them. They definitely had a feeling sort of as the end of the year came um, that there was a a sense of, yeah, we, we did this, like we got through this. And um, like, like, and I felt very, yeah. I felt very strange about it because like for me at some rate, like my AP students, like I definitely was like, yeah, we got through this. And then my honors kids, like I was reading some of the stuff, they've, some of their feedback. And I was like, there was pangs of like, oh, like they didn't really take the class that I think of because we didn't do like, like I have all this history, like labs that we do or projects that we do and things that I didn't get, they didn't experience. And like, I should feel a sense of accomplishment that we got through the year, but at the same yeah. time, I'm like, Oh, but you know, we didn't do this project or they didn't do this experience or didn't that experience. And so there's part of me that feels both accomplished, but also like, gosh, what, what was this year? <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah. I feel like yeah. my SEL, like my social emotional learning, like, I went way into that and like my science learning was like, okay, yeah, you know, we did that, but we really took care of each other was the biggest yeah. takeaway I think from my class. Yeah. Well, and that's what you said there about the the social emotional learning. I was really worried about um, being able to build connections with kids when you like when you're masked and you're distanced and they can't stay after school for extra help and you're not working yeah. with them on these projects or not working. Cause I do so much group work and the, one of the advantages yeah. of group work and people don't, I don't know that who aren't in the classroom who grew up in a more traditional classroom is that I float group to group to group and have conversations yeah. with the groups. And 
not all of them are 100% on point to what they're doing in the classroom. That's how I get to know my kids. That's how I get to know, oh, there's a game going on, or I've got a, a this going on, or these two people are actually friends when they're not in the classroom, or this person is involved yeah. in speech and debate, or like, like, or this person's <laughs> really into this music, or like, or they're excited about this movie. Like, I get to know the personalities of my kids by them working in groups and me floating around helping them on science, but also engaging with them as a human. Um, and yeah. I realized like, oh, how I interact with these people as a human is going to be completely lost this year. Um, and so I did. I, I did lots of designing of things where I would find ways of checking in with kids. And I did get my end of the year survey. And I certainly have kids who felt like I didn't check in with them enough, um, which hurts. Yeah. Um but you can't get past that for everyone. It was a minority view, though. I felt like most of my kids, yeah. and I have a lot of kids who I got, um, I really got to know. It took a while to figure out how to do it, but, like, kids who, like, <laughs> I was able to get to know. And my AP kids, like, I felt as close to them, my fully remote kids or my in-person kids, I felt as close to them as I would feel any other group of AP kids. And those are generally the kids I feel closest to just because we spend more time together and it's like such a grueling class and it's such a, like, it's such an emotional roller coaster of ups and downs <laughs> and challenges and working on stuff and, and doing that. And so, um, I, I really did invest that. So you're right. Anything that I lost from that, like not having the time to talk to them about like maybe doing a lab or how to redesign a lab came out in other ways where we had conversations about how they're doing in, in different avenues. Um, and so I, I should feel progress about that, that, that it didn't fall apart. And I wasn't just like just a robot teaching them over zoom all year, but um, yeah. yeah, it was, it was, it was hard. Um, and it was exhausting. It was, I think that's, I know. And, I know. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing I think that it'll be interesting to see. Cause like teaching is always exhausting, but man, this year was really, uh, really draining. So I know one of my goals for next year is to work on my work life balance, just cause I don't know if it was first year or four preps <laughs> or pandemic or the combo of everything, but like, I was working way too late and way too early every day, just yeah. grinding away, trying to come up with interesting things for students to do, projects and labs that we could maybe take outside, maybe not, depending on the weather, you know, mm -hmm. all sorts of fun stuff. <laughs> all right. Well, you've naturally nicely transitioned into that next question, which is those those year two goals. And I think work-life balance is... Um, Something that I, I hear sounds like a really good thing. Um, I was just reading an article the other day that um, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was like um, Gen Z should not make it a norm of working on the weekends or something like that. It was like an article that was like that. Like, like <laughs> it was basically like, look, there's, people have tried to trick you into working seven days a week. Don't work. Like there is a reason there's Don't a weekend. Do Don't do it. And um, I personally... It sounds crazy. I took Saturdays off following Lee Ferguson's I don't do schoolwork on Saturdays and I adopted no schoolwork on Saturdays this past year. And it was, it was a huge sanity saver for me because I am somebody who just like you said, there's always work to do. There's, there's yeah, always, always, and, and like legitimately I was working like 12 hours a day, six days a week. Like, oh, same. <laughs> that's, like that's not sane. And they don't pay me to work that much. And like, and also it's just not, it's not life balance. It's not, it is not a sane way to live your life. You're not going to eat well. You're not going to take care of yourself. You're not going to have outside stuff. So I, I applaud that, but um, in those, <laughs> easier said, yeah, easier than said than <laughs> but in those, let's, let's dial it back to 10 hours a day, six days a week. What are you looking to work on? Yeah. Too? 
Um, hopefully, like I said, just, you know, finding, I think in my first interview with you, you know, I was, I was like, okay, well, I really want to find out my teacher identity. And I think, you know, when you're a practicum student, you're like, oh, I will definitely have that down by my year one. And you're like, it's no false. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I want to continue working on that, you know, just staying consistent, making sure that my focus is on, okay what does my community in my classroom look like? What does that compare to the school community? Um, and then as well as making those science practices more visible to my students. Um, I'm hoping to do a few activities, you know, at the beginning of the year with the science practices, really making them explicit to students so that they understand why I'm teaching them the way that I am. Um, you know, students are like, oh, I like your class, but I want them to be able to be like, I like Miss Ryan's class because we do modeling or because, you know, we use the science practices. Um, and that way, you know, I'm not the person who has this mysterious plan for the day. I'm this person who's helping them through doing science in my classroom. Yeah. So those are my two kind of big goals. I don't know. I don't have very many because I came into this year with like a whole list of goals and then I only hit like one or two. So I <laughs> dialed it back. Well, in in fairness, this was this was a tough year <laughs> to do a lot of those goals and getting through was a big thing. True. But um I you know, as you were saying, the idea of sort of your teacher identity, I was like, I wonder when I'm going to figure out what my teacher identity is. Um, <laughs> uh, as I as I get rid of your root for year 26. And I think actually probably a better way of thinking about it is that um, you're going to grow and change and develop as a person and you're going to develop, like, that's just the reality. And the person that is you and the person that is a teacher are going to continue to do that. So it is an iterative process. Um, And I always viewed it as like, I I think I had a lot for a long time, that view of who my teacher identity was going to be and how to develop that. And I felt like, I felt it came in sort of waves that like, I was like sort of one teacher for my first couple of years of teaching. And then I got to like years five, six, seven, and I became sort of a different teacher. And then, then I became a different teacher. Like there were sort of waves (laughs) and like, I could sort of, you know, and I've been like over the last decade, I've kind of been on this journey. Like it's been more gradual. Like there were definitely sea change years where like I went from, I had sort of this persona to like, I adopted a whole new thing and I like really made some changes and like, I, you know, there were some, definitely some bigger moments um, that happened, but it's been more sort of gradual. And um, I think that as you're doing that, you then constantly say like, all right, so I do all of these things in my classroom, but I value all of these things, which of those things in my classroom don't, (laughs) I don't align with these values. And as your values, I don't want to say change, but um, clarify. Like you'll have this thing that's like, yeah, it's like, so like this past, you know, this past few weeks in particular for me, you know, I've been on and, you know, Paul, as you worked with him and Paul's, you know, ungrade list philosophy. And so I've read, I've read (laughs) grade lists and I've read his wife's book and I've read ungrading and I've read all of these other things. And I've come to realize that to me, the name of the system is not that important, but the, the foundation of feedback as the center focal point of your practice is what's the value that's important. The thing that resonates with me about that system is the iterative process of asking students to do something, struggle through that thing, provide them feedback and provide them an opportunity to improve. And that is something that I didn't experience a lot in my own personal learning. Like my own personal Mm. learning was like, 
what was most of high school? Um, most of high school was I had an assignment. I did an assignment. I handed it in. I was pretty good at doing that the first time. So I was a good student. Um, and that I wasn't really yeah. asked to do a lot of iterating on my learning in there. Now, that's not to say I didn't have to and that there weren't lessons that were building. And then I got to a summative thing and that there was more nuance. And I had some really good teachers who definitely were, you know, doing more gradual things. But there weren't a lot of things that I went back to and had to like say, oh, I need to improve this from this point. Like I can never remember writing up a lab, submitting that lab, getting feedback on that lab and then having to refine that lab or writing an essay for something on a, a test getting feedback on that and then revising it and handing it back in and, and learning on that. And so depending, like that's something that I ever do, but now that I've been doing stuff like that with my students and having written papers for publication and submitted them and them saying this, this, and this are not good enough for publication. You need to revise that and helping <laughs> students through that process. Like those processes like are, are learning and that's become a central yeah. focus of my class. And so like, that's been sort of where my headspace is. And that would have never occurred to me, you know, 15 years ago. Um, like, <laughs> and, and it's just through that iterative process of like, what is it that I am that's important and, and then constantly growing and learning. And I remember you talking about that at NABT, like here are all these like old people, you didn't call us old, but I will, I will, <laughs> present, oh, those are all these people. I would never say old. But here are all of these very seasoned, uh, experienced people <laughs> who, who are like constantly working to try to get better at what they do. And I think that's sort of the spirit of like what keeps teaching exciting and interesting and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm definitely like starting to reflect because we only have about four weeks left before we go back to school, which is crazy. But um, I'm starting to like look at my projects like, oh, I really liked talking about blood pH. Like, how can I make that even better so that the learning process for students is more kind of what you talked about, where they're kind of questioning their own learning and reflecting on that. Because like you said, I think that's where the biggest growth is in um, students understanding. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get us ca- head into the exit and talk about non-teaching stuff. So, um, I I was I, okay. I didn't intentionally put in like how much are you mountain biking in the Appalachian Mountains, but um, because I, I know you <laughs> and your crazy mountain biking. But uh, what are you working on? Uh, you know, you in I see. I've been out of school, so I had two days off after my last day of school, and then started the AP read, and now we're recording this week. Ouch. So like, I've been out of school, for, and I was in meetings, like bouncing back from the AP read and meetings. So like. I like, I haven't been out of school. I've had two days off this summer, but I don't go back until the end of August. So I have, I, yeah. I have a few more weeks. But, you have plenty of time. Well, I don't know that I have plenty of time, but I have time. Okay, maybe not I have plenty, more but. time. <laughs> but like, you're like, yeah, we go back in four weeks. And I'm like, ah, like I haven't done anything. Yeah. But, okay. Don't, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> no, but we're in different, we're, but you've been started your summer. You got a few weeks left. What are you, what are you looking for in these last few weeks? Uh, that's not school related to enjoy this summer? Um, Yeah, well, like you said, biking is just a big part of my life. And moving from Colorado to Knoxville, it's actually kind of interesting because it's so hot and humid down here that you really don't want to be outside after like 12 or like one because then you just like melt. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, a lot of the biking actually happens in the fall or the winter because they don't get a lot of snow or we don't get a lot of snow. So I'm also, I have picked up a new sport. I'm learning how to kayak um, because all you can do is be in the water when it's so hot. Um, and so next week I'm going to go spend a week on the Salmon River 
um, with kind of like an instructional group and hopefully improve my skills with that. Um, but the big project for the summer is in February, I bought a van, like, a, you know, like every other millennial, I bought a van and I plan to build it out into a camper. Um, and so I am in the process of that. I spent like my entire week, probably six or probably not 60, um, probably close to like 40 hours last week sanding, painting, priming my van so that it looks just right. <laughs> um, and it's going to be like a year-long process, but that's kind of been my escape all summer is just putting things together, putting the floor in, trying to plan my van. Nice. Nice. I didn't know that this, yeah. I didn't know this was a thing, but I'm not a millennial. So. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's like, you know, hashtag van life everybody's trying to live out of a van now. <laughs> this is, this is why you need to talk to people who are not in your cohort. So, you know, I was just, ex- yep. I was just excited to go to see fast nine the other night with my, with my buddy. <laughs> and we talked about, we talked about going and visit breweries. Like this is, this is what the old guys do. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, brewery having is definitely also a summertime activity. Yeah. I, I honestly, if I lived, if I lived where you lived, I would be like, yeah, I got to drive to Asheville today. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in Asheville. Yeah. It's just over the mountains there. So, uh, yeah, uh, not, not too far. It's probably, how long does it take to get to Asheville from Knoxville? It's got to be, it's not too long. It's like two, two and a half hours. It's not bad yeah. at all. So, I, so I've spent a lot of time mountain biking in Pisgah National Forest. Nice. I don't know. I, I, I grew up in Henderson. Okay. I grew up in Hendersonville. So that is, that's. Is, okay. Yeah. I know where that is. Yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's Pisgah. Like I grew, I learned to fish. Uh, was it, uh, is it slippery rock, sliding rock? There's like a slippery rock. There's Pisgah falls in there. There's like a natural water slide in Pisgah that like, it's like, it, or there was, you know, uh, many, many, many years ago. <laughs> Cause we're talking, we're talking early eighties, uh, that I was, where I was in there, but yeah, um, there's, I, I learned to fish like right up the stream from, uh, Pisgah falls, like, uh, just on those little, on oh, those little cool. streams that are in there. My, my dad and my uncle's taken me in there. Uh, yeah, that's where I lived from ages five to nine, uh, was right in that little oh, time. Cool. So, yep. Have a great affinity for, th- for that, for that part of Carolina. So yeah, it is beautiful and it's really, it's actually really good mountain biking. I'm very surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. I see. I would like, and I'm a trail runner, so, you know, I don't, I don't get on the bike cause you can go over the handlebars as a, uh, as Ryan Reardon will show in pictures on the internet, uh, but, but I will, uh, I'll run trails, uh, and, uh, around here, there's not, well, there's a couple of mountainous kind of trails, but it's nothing like that area. Like I imagine those are the grueling mountain runs, uh, mountain trail runs up there. Yeah. So it's all fun. All right. Well, um, let's, uh, let's, let's my final question for you is, do you have any questions for me? uh well I mean we kind of already talked about it but my main question after you know a crazy year is you know after I get over the shock of this first year what should I really focus on you know years two three moving forward into into my profession yeah yeah it's it's a it's a daunting question to ask um because there's no right answer (laughs) there's there really there's no right answer um yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> Maybe just tips. Yeah, so, tips for moving yeah, forward. Yeah. So my general philosophy is um, I I generally pick one or two things. 
a year to try to work on. Like I, I, I try to make things very manageable. So, um, and this past year it absolutely was, I think a, a big stress, but, um, in your part of the world, you don't have snow days. Uh, but up here we have the, what's known as snow days, but I have an expression that I, I, I created like 15 years ago that on snow days, you find out what's important in your curriculum. And by that, what I mean is like when we'd have a snow day, all of a sudden we'd lose two days from our curriculum and we'd have to cut something in order to make, like make it to the end of our unit to make it to the end of the term, that sort yeah. of stuff. And I would say, like, we'd get together with the other teachers and, and I would say, like, if you want to cut the lab, what you're telling me is that we don't prioritize labs. Like, if you're saying that mm -hmm. what we have to get done between now and the end of the unit is we've got to get these notes in, what you're telling me and you're telling all the kids is the important thing we do in our classroom is the notes and not the labs. Yeah. And so, like, for me, the question is, what are the things that I think are important that I'm not doing as well as I want them to go. Like for me, labs are super important. So what labs need to get better? I would improve on, you mentioned projects. Like if I like those projects and I feel like they're really cool and they're really engaging, but the science practices are not visible enough or they're not transparent enough or not have the kids like really understanding the doing practices, take those things that are really important to you and then flush those out. So for me, like this past, so, so I'm going to go back a summer last year when we were coming into this pandemic, <laughs> like my, my, my AP bio teaching partner and I, we had been in the process of working on flipping our classroom. We were sort of had a plan. It was over a couple of years and we're like, oh, we're going into this year. We have to flip our classroom. We have to do now. The one thing we're going to do is we're going to make all of the videos for the classroom. So last summer I made, between the two of us, we made 56 videos for AP biology, wow. <laughs> we split them in half and we just, we made all like we flipped because we're like, this is something we need to do. We had talked about maybe doing some of them this year and some of the next year. And we had other videos that were from other sources that were in there, but we're like, we're going to do that. We're like, we're not doing labs this upcoming year. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. We're going to cut. It's like, we've got to do this. So last summer, that's what we did. So the good news is yeah. our classroom is completely flipped. We did that, but there were other things that we needed some work that we didn't do. And so he's working on like, some of our like vocabulary scaffolding isn't very good. And so he's going to tackle that part of the course. And then we do a bunch of practice essays and we have those in place, but there's areas that those just sort of what you're saying, like there's science practices that are not clear. There's things that they're not as good. So I'm going to work on those. So like, but that's my AP plan. My AP plan is I'm working yeah. on this thing. My teaching partner is going to work on this other thing because we can divide it up, but I'm not trying to change five things in the class i'm picking an area <laughs> that is something that's good and is important that we value but could be better and i'm doing like one or two of those and i don't have i only have two preps i don't have four so you may want to pick like what like I, I have bigger deals i have <laughs> things i have to work on too and i've got some other projects so i'm doing a one thing here and one thing here but i'm trying not to do yeah. too many things in every class because then the other thing is just like a science experiment you change too many variables like what was it like you can't really reflect if you change four things about like your physical science class like that's hard to do that's hard to value and then if people went <laughs> wrong like well what was it that went wrong what was it about those processes that you need to improve like so yeah, it's, it's hard. Um, that's helpful, but I would, yeah, as ambitious as you feel, remember how tired you are and then just <laughs> pick one or two and then only go with those. And you, you know, you're at the start of what will probably be what 25, 30 years of work, you know, 
Yeah. So Long you time. know, yeah, there's not even thinking about yeah, it. <laughs> there, there's no rush to get it all done. I mean, you want to be your class to be as good as it, it can be, but um, as much as you were funny, it was there, like you're like, you want the kids to say, I really like that class, not just because of the personality, but the truth is, is that um, even when you've really well crafted your class, your personality is going to be the thing that your kids are going to remember well, more yeah. than anything else. <laughs> so, yeah, so you're just going to be kind and you're going to be caring and thoughtful and do all of those things and make it a warm environment. And that's, that's like primacy. And then the curriculum piece should just, you know, do a little one, one or two things. The, the So I think you already have it. I think you've already established your goals and you're just going to, work on those practices and that's it. And if you get your practices better yeah. for next year, then awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I guess I got to work on my jokes too. Cause huh. you know, if it's all about the personality, then I need to have some jokes in my back pocket. <laughs> oh, that's, I, I didn't know that I was supposed to pre- rehearse those. I, uh, I just, I just, <laughs> I just use my dad jokes as I go. Um, so <laughs> I gotta work. okay. I have a really, I don't know if we have time, Oops. so you can cut this out if you don't have it, but what, is the main cause of hamster death. The main cause of... I don't know the main cause of hamster death. What is the main cause of hamster death? Falling asleep at the oh. wheel. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's awful. That's my, that's my go-to dad that's, joke. That's pretty <laughs> awful. I, I got to say, that's pretty awful. It is pretty bad. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> um, yeah I got to I gotta try to think of how to... I don't have mice in my classroom anyway anymore. I used to, though <sighs> they would have been so smelly. Um, but... And you can't really do anything yeah. with them. I gotta, I gotta find the zebrafish equivalent to that because um, I'm, I'm putting, a, I'm yeah. putting in zebrafish tanks uh, in the next year. Oh, cool! Yeah, that's a long-term goal. I gotta building that, building out some. I've got. I, that's the other thing is like I've got like all these five-year projects that I'm working on right now. Like, <laughs> like some of which got ma- heavily derailed over the last year, but uh, hopefully we're getting them back on track. Uh, which is why I have so many curriculum meetings this past month. Um, it's like, hey, remember when we were gonna do that? Let's start thinking about doing that again. Uh, so. <laughs> all right. Well, we have gotten to picks the episode. I, have, I haven't done picks uh, all year because I've only I've been on a panel. I haven't forced my panel to come up with picks every episode. But uh, I decided to reinstate <laughs> the picks of the episode uh, because they were in my show prep, um, my my standard show prep doc that I use on all my episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Katie, what is uh, your pick of the episode? So I went with a, another podcast. I hope you're not offended by that. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Uh, but I listened to Radiolab and they had a really cool science episode about kleptotherms and they started out by talking about snakes who crawl into birds nests and they don't prey on the birds they don't prey on the eggs but they actually just lay in the nest to get heat from the eggs and from the birds um, to help regulate their body temperature and help them survive and I thought that was really cool and then they talked about how it can how temperature is so variable for humans so like we have this temperature with COVID everybody's taking their temperature Mm -hmm. saying oh is my temperature 97.8 you know but most of the time like I had to take my temperature every day before I went into school and my temperature definitely was not you know that number every single day and we have a range of like oh if you are under 100 you are fine to go to school if you are over like Nope, you can't. And so it really dove into the history of how humans have kind of started t- 
to have variation in their body temperature and how that 97.8 kind of came to be, you know, a guy took a bunch of people's temperature and averaged it and was like, yeah, this is the human body temperature. Yeah. Um, I think 90. And so I just found it really cool. Yeah. 97.8, I think is the new one that they're saying is the more average as opposed to 98.6, which is where they had historically yeah. said it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you're a hundred percent right. And I'm curious about how that temperature norming, like, um, my, my wife's work does that where if you go in from the parking lot, they would take your temperature. But in the New England, like she would go in and there would be like they'd put the temperature up and she'd come in from the freezing cold in the middle of the winter to go do lab work. And it'd be like 85. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like it was getting to the summer and she was like, people are going to be walking in from the parking lot in the heat. And nobody's going to be allowed yeah. in the building because you're like from a sweat, you're sweaty from the hot car and the, you know, like if you don't get in from your air conditioned yeah. car into the building really fast, <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to have a high, you're going to have a high temperature. Yeah. Um, or like all the kids who wear hoodies to school and like never take them off, you know, and they're like sweating under there. Yeah. Their t- body temperature is going to be naturally higher when you take their temperature than, yeah. you know, a kid who doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> they have they have removed that rule. They said if you have if you are vaccinated, they've removed that temperature rule. It was a terrible proxy, uh, anyway, for the pandemic. But, um, uh, but anyway, it's uh yeah the it's it's one of those sort of theatrical things where it's like we don't know what to do. Right, let's do this thing. But uh, yeah, I re- yeah I remember that kleptotherm. Uh, Radio Lab. Radio Lab's awesome. Like just I could we could pick yeah. a dozen episodes uh from that. Uh but awesome. I I may go back and revisit uh that. Just thinking about how temperature I wonder how that would work as sort of a phenomenon for some of the labs we do where we do temperature stuff. Uh, just to make kids think about temperature. Um like enzyme labs. Yeah, or... they um you can get tiles. I do this with I did this in my classroom this year, but you can get like a tile that's made out of wood that's painted black and a tile that is black metal and if you put them in the same spot they're going to have they're gonna like feel different like the metal will feel colder than the wood so a lot of students will go oh it's colder but they read the same temperature because temperature is just a measure of how fast the molecules are moving Mm -hmm. And so because they've been in the same place, they have the same temperature, but they feel warmer, colder. And so like, that is my phenomenon for temperature because it blows kids' minds. They're like, what? That's <laughs> neat. That's, that's very cool. Uh, maybe I shouldn't call it cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, <laughs> my, uh, my pick for the episode is um, I, I am a member of the, uh, the MGen Biotech Experience uh, that is up here um, uh, in the Northeast. Uh, there's a, a basically a Harvard cohort, um, and they did some book clubs during the school year, which I did, I did a book club, but I, I didn't do any of the book clubs with the, with the ABE, but they're doing a summer book club that I have signed on for, and I'm looking forward to it. And it is called The Drunken Botanist. Uh, and it's, uh, <laughs> a, it's a book uh, by uh, Amy Stewart. The full title is The Drunken Botanist, uh, The Plants That Create the World's Greatest Drinks. Um, and it's basically a, uh, alcohol and botany book. Um, and so it's got all this uh, botanical history um, mixed with recipes for various drinks uh, as you go in here. So the the introduction is not called an introduction, it's called an aperitif. Um, and then they give you a little bit of background about, uh, about the recipes, and then they give you some backgrounds about the classics, um, and they will tell you, so for example, it starts with agave and they give you all of his background on agave um and and then they lead you into making 
um, you know, some drinks with mezcal and tequila based off of that agave. So um, it's it's a it's an interesting nerdy overlap between botany and uh, alcohol. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, it's already in my Amazon cart because as soon as you put this in here, I was like, I have to have that. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be an interesting book club to see what we're doing. Our first our first meeting is late July, uh, so I gotta I gotta get cracking on it. I've been I've been reading other stuff um, in my non spare time, but uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna definitely have a uh, a reading and uh, and a liquor store uh, trip that's on my uh, on my to do list very soon as I, as I head up to, um, shop for, uh, for the book club. Yeah. I got to go to the liquor store, getting ready for the book club. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, Katie, thanks for joining me. This was awesome to catch up and I, I appreciate it. Hopefully my dog barking in the background didn't uh, mess too much of the episode up. <laughs> I, I think we're yeah. good. Thank you again for inviting me. It's always exciting to talk to people about your practice. Yeah. Yeah. And as, uh, as we move forward, maybe we'll find uh, some excuses to get you on as a, as a panelist, as we do some panel stuff in the, in the upcoming years, I'll give you more than like uh, 36 hours notice. Um, <laughs> next, time, <laughs> next time I text you. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let me give credits for the episode. Uh, please subscribe to life, of the school on your podcast player of choice. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash lots and become a supporter of life of the school. Um, help chip in a buck or two a month. I also give early releases to my Patreons uh, as a little thank you for um, for supporting us. Music on this and every episode is provided by Jake Jenkins and X Magicians. Uh, show notes, in addition to being on Patreon.com, are also at lifeoftheschool.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School. Uh, Katie, are you on Twitter? Do you live on Twitter? I do not live on Twitter. I am a Facebook, Instagram kind of person yeah. too many insta snapchat book things yeah yeah i uh i it's funny my instagram life is i follow a whole bunch of woodworkers on instagram um <laughs> but i never post on instagram i just uh i creep i guess is what we learned i creep on instagram yeah. <laughs> on there so uh but yes uh you can follow uh me on twitter because uh, i live on twitter and i do pretty much only post about biology and life of the school that's pretty much it all right thanks for joining us and i'll talk to everybody soon my van has an instagram my van all right well you're not gonna tell us your you gotta tell us your van's instagram Okay, it's uh, at two humans and a van. Two humans and a van on Instagram. All right, this may be a postscript. Yep. <laughs>